Hello, world, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Unplugged podcast by the Athlete Tech Group. I'm your host, Randy Osei, and today I'm joined by the Italian Don himself, former Great Cup champion and current commissioner of the CEBL, Michael Morale. Ciao, Michael. How are you doing today? I am good. I appreciate the Italian shout out there, too. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Man, Italy is one of those places I I have been wanting to go for a very, 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 very long time. I'm a big wine guy. I'm a big pasta guy. And I love architecture. And I know go. Italy has all three. So hopefully they open up these borders in the, in the next little bit. And I'm able to to go give that, that, that place a visit. But Michael, how's everything been? How's, you know, how's life? It's it's We're in October right now, 2020, the weirdest year ever um but things are still moving but they're not moving at the same time how has michael navigated that yeah you know what we're, we're getting through personally like the rest of everybody else just kind of taking it day by day and from a business perspective we are actually kind of full steam ahead so you know really trying to bear down and get operationally better um during this time but uh you know still a lot of unknowns out there for both you know prefer uh, personal and professional lives for everyone Absolutely. Absolutely. How's the family? You know, how are the kids, the wife, how are they adjusting? You know, I'm, uh, I'm sure you, bad. I'm sure you have kids. Uh, how old are your kids? They're probably in high yeah. school. I got two, two girls. One's in grade seven, one's in or senior kindergarten. So, oh, uh, oh they're young. keeping me young, man. They're, uh, they're keeping me young. young. Uh, but they're good. The wife is, is good. Uh, she's an American. So she, she loves it here. We've been here uh, about eight years. And, uh, of course, I'm from here, but she came up about eight years ago and just, just loves it. And kind of with everything going on back home in the U.S., is kind of happy she's in Canada. Absolutely. What part of the States is she from? From Texas. Texas. Right in Dallas. Oh, yeah. man. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So you got yourself a little family, uh, which is great to see. Now, Michael, tell us about your, yourself. You know, what, what was your upbringing like? You know, what do you remember about Canada when you grew up in Canada? And, uh, yeah. Tell us, tell us all yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I grew up, you know, middle class, both my parents worked, had, had, had decent jobs, and, and we grew up good. I mean, I, I had no complaints. I, everything I did was outside. Like, there was, I never sat in front of a computer. I never played video games. I never even considered it. It was, you know, I was home when the lights went on at night, and other than that, I was free to roam. So, you know, I had a big park in behind, so I lived on a court. So that court was great because you go play all day long. There's very few cars coming down. If we wanted to play in the park, we just hopped the fence in my backyard. And that's what we did. So that's how I grew up. And I grew up loving sports and, and you know, being with friends and, and doing all that cool stuff. So, you know, it's, it's hard to instill that nowadays on the little ones because there's so much right. other stuff going on. But, you know, I try to bring them back to that. So actually, funny enough, today I'm out in the backyard putting up a basketball net, got the court down. Wow. I'm all logoed up, and I got to get the kids outside to start playing. That's what they need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I know we live in a day and age where every kid has an iPad and everyone has an iPhone, but before they hit high school, um, I remember <laughs> I didn't get a cell phone until grade 11, and I had to buy it myself. So oh, yeah. to see kids now at eight, like, oh, I got to text my mom. Hold on, guys, one sec. Wait, what? <laughs> they, live, they live in a different age. Now, you know, Obviously, you, you have a huge love for football. You're a CFL player and two-time Grey Cup champion, um, also MVP of the Canadian Grey Cup, and most outstanding player for our listeners that don't know. Was football always your love and passion? Uh, not until later on. I mean, I, my dad played football in the university, so I kind of always knew he did that. I grew up playing soccer, lots of soccer, lots of basketball. And, um, and then just at some point, I just didn't feel like there was a, a hope for me or career in soccer. And I started gravitating towards football. My cousins were all playing professionally that time. So my, my first cousin's to Paul Masadi. So he was playing with the Argos. So I was always kind of looking up to him. And then his middle brother, Christian, started playing for the Eskimos. So I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. And I really got interested in football. But I never, I never put on any pads or played uh, any organized football to grade 10. And uh, my dad's like, wait till grade 10. And I kind of sprouted. And that was it. And then I just fell in love. I was good at it. 
And uh, that led to kind of the next steps, going to university, going pro. And, but, yeah, that, it, was, uh, it was fun times growing up playing, playing football, that's for sure. Absolutely. So you had some role models and, and family, um, some mentors that were also family as well to kind of help you, you know, give you the little tidbits. What were some of the things that were sharing with you back in high school during those times? That's funny because I, I know I probably drove them crazy. Man. I was always like <laughs> hovering around. I was like trying to get as much information. I was probably paying the neck. But they were, I think they saw something in me. They, they certainly saw my drive and determination. And, you know, they were both receivers. So, you know, for me, I was just like, I was a receiver also. So it was like, perfect. Now I can ask some little tips of the trade or, you know, what, what are you getting taught? And, and my cousins were always great with me. It's not like we went out in the backyard and threw the ball around. It wasn't like that. Uh, we just kind of talked about it. And that time, they're about five, six years older than me. So I was watching them playing pro when I was still in, in uh, high school and high school university. So, um, you know, a lot of it was just I was absorbing it by watching and seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that mentorship and um, access to resources are, are, are very huge for any athlete, uh, any entrepreneur, any student, right? I think um, that development they say it takes a, a village to raise a child is, is super, super important. Um, and I think, you know, in your early days, you know, maybe, and I could be wrong, but during these times, you're, you're, you're looking at building these relationships with these people, right? Mm -hmm. um, did they, you know, did these mentors, these cousins, these family members, did they come in and speak to you about the importance of building relationships? Yeah, you know, it was, I grew up that way. So mm -hmm. for me, it's all about relationships. I mean, that is from the get go, you gotta, you know, introduce yourself, you know, say hi to everybody, you know, acknowledge people when they talk to like, just do the right things, right? Uh, be a good person and all that stuff. So to me, it was easy to gravitate towards people. Although I, when I was really young, I was incredibly shy, but at some point I broke through that. I don't know where, why, or how it just kind of happened. And, um, and then, my, you know, everything I do to this day is about forging those relationships with people that, um, you know, that, that, that can help you too, right? I have a ton of mentors that I go to. Ron Foxtroff is probably one of my biggest mentors. And if any kind of line of business I'm in, and Ron is the one who invented the Fox 40 whistle and, uh, you know, very famous uh, in these parts for uh, basketball and a former NBA ref and NCAA ref. So... I lean on those guys, you know, and there's a, someone, Ron, who's far older than me, and no disrespect to Ron, but, you know, I'm a young kid to him still. And right. always makes time for me. So it doesn't end or it doesn't start. Um, if it starts, it can change. Your mentors can change based on kind of how you grow. But I don't think there should ever be an end. Like, I don't think I'll ever stop trying to find a mentor to bounce something off. And, and the flip side is, I'm open to anybody coming to me because I know what that did for me. I mean, I, it's wide open. You want to reach out to me and pick my brain about whatever, feel free to. It doesn't mean I can fit you into the schedule, you know, exactly, you know, every day at the same time or what have you, but I'll definitely make time uh, and definitely listen. That's, I think that's important. Absolutely. No. And I mean, that's, that's how we got here. You know, yeah. I had reached out to you on, on LinkedIn and, um, read up on your history, um, working with the CFLPA and former athlete, um, and now the commissioner of the CEBL, you know, me reaching out, wanted to just connect with you and just yeah. learn and, and just feel your energy. Although it was through a computer screen or iPad screen or whatever, I was like, that guy's a good guy. I'd, I'd love to share your energy with the world sure. through the podcast. So thank you so much for joining My us uh, once again. So which college did you go to? How many years were you there for? What did you study? And then at what point did you realize you were going to be a pro? Okay, so I, I ended up going to McMaster in Hamilton. I'm from Hamilton, went to high school, you know, grade school in Hamilton, high school in Hamilton. I had no intention of going to university in Hamilton. I just, I was mm. going to go elsewhere. I was going to go to the States. I was going to go out east. I was going to go all these places. And then one day I went down and I actually did a tour of the campus. I never, never toured the campus in my whole life. I was like, man, this is a nice spot. And then there's a bunch of guys that I knew from playing in Hamilton that were going to go to Mac. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a good crew. You know, it's close to home. Let's give it a go. And they really wanted me. The guy never stopped. You know, Steve Bruno was a coach that for since I was 
you know, maybe my second year playing, he was on me for years. So I was like, I got to get in, get in, at least go. Uh, and then I, I loved it. And then went there and spent, um, ended up playing three years, put my name in the draft early and got drafted in my third year, went to BC and early in training camp, got cut, like without even getting a real chance. And it was kind of crushed. And I ended up going back to Mac for my fourth season. Um, and then I ended up playing the first semester and then Toronto picked me up as a free agent. And then that started my, my pro career playing. And then, you know, it bounced around. I took social sciences. I, listen, I was like a major in geography. I was like CFL or bust. That was my right. mentality, right? So I knew that university was the stepping stone to playing professional football. So the one thing about football is you got to go to school. Like it's very rare to come out of the junior college or the junior football programs there. It happens, but it's rare. So majority of the people, upwards of 90 plus percent, you got to go through university. Now, it doesn't mean you have to study, but you got to go. And that's the one blessing that at least it forces that upon you if you really want to play. So, you know, I was, I was excited to play. I never even thought, what am I going to do with the social science degree? Uh, I just thought, let's play football and worry about that stuff after. And that was kind of the determination drive I had. It may sound stupid, but I put all my eggs in one basket. I just went for it. That's how you have to do things. Absolutely. Wow. I love that. I love that. I think that's very, very important. You know, um, taking that risk people like to talk about is, is, is very, very important. Now, obviously you go into the, the, the CFL and do amazing things. Um, for those that didn't hear it at the beginning, or if you're tuning in now, uh, Michael is a two-time Grey Cup champion in 96 and 99. He was a Grey Cup Canadian MVP in 99 and the CFL's most outstanding Canadian player in 2008. 2008, I was just graduating high school. Back it up, 1998. 1998. So I don't even know where you were in 1998. <laughs> I, was, I was living in Scarborough at the time. There you go. <laughs> Definitely living in Scarborough at the time. Um, did you ever see yourself seeing so much success at the professional level? Or was that something that mind. just kind of came? Yeah, in my mind. I mean, I yeah, I did. Uh, you know, um, those are my like wildest dreams, right? And you know, I, I would say for the most part, man, it was. It, it's funny because in, in in sport, it, it, I always worry. You know, and things that can't leave my brain are the things that I didn't accomplish, not the stuff that I did. Like I can't get over the fact if I dropped a touchdown pass or mm. we didn't win that great cup and. You know, 1998, we lost that one, came back and win, or I didn't, I should have had better seasons in this seed. Like, that's the stuff I think, that's what drives me crazy. But if you look at the, you know, the, on the awards, let's say, in the great cups, I mean, I would think I feel like I accomplished a heck of a lot. And I'm proud of that. But, um, you know, it, nothing's better than just playing with your teammates and building those relationships and forging those relationships. Because at the end of the day, the wins and losses, the yards, the, all that stuff, it comes and goes. It's all the bonds that you create, right? The experiences. So um, I was very fortunate. Uh, I'm mad it didn't win more Player of the Year awards and more great cups. And But that, you know, it's probably on me more than it is on anyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's crazy because – you know, people that, that are sick, like very, very successful, they don't really remember the successes. They remember the things that didn't happen for them. Yeah, the failures. Uh, the failures and, you know, the, the, the miss this or the miss that. And it's like, well, you have so much to be happy about. Why are you still being pulled about this small thing or yeah. this or whatever the case may be? Like, why, why? explain that mindset to, to people because – so people yeah. will be like, wait, what? You yeah, sound ungrateful. See, they'll, tell, they'll come and tell you you sound yeah. ungrateful. I think so, but maybe I can explain it better because they're not little things to me. They're big mm. things to me, and they're things that I can control. So I feel that, you know, amidst all my 12 years of playing, never missed a game my whole career, something I'm very proud of. Wow. I mean, something I probably played 40 games I never should have, you know, but taped it up and, you know what, some pills, boom, you're out there. That was, that's how we did things. Um, but I, you always forget to me, I think of the failures more than the accomplishments because when I fail, I also let down all the other guys. Right. So there's, it's not just me, you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm mad and pissed off myself because I didn't make a catch, but I also stopped to drive and let down the offense, put the defense back on the field, like it's all these stuff. So that's the way my brain thinks. Doesn't mean it always worked to perfection, but it just means that that was my mentality. The reason I played so long, truthfully, is is because I was I wanted to really understand the game and know where to be at every given time and be a student of the game. Because as you know, after you cross that kind of 30-year-old plateau in most sports, you know, you get smarter, but you don't get faster, right? So I, I just right. had to get my smarts had to be up there because the speed and everything else was waning. I had to try and stay in the game. And so, you know, to me, it was very much a mind game. So when, when, when you play games that are, you know, with your mind, things go great, it's awesome. Things go wrong, you got to chuck them out. But they're there somewhere. You know, they revisit years later. But uh, I hate to – yeah, I don't want to cast a negative picture. Yeah. I don't also want to brag. It was fantastic. I loved it. I wish I won 12 great cups, one in every year I played. But at the end of the day, is you know, I had a, a hell of a time with my teammates, lots of fun. It built my career post-football. It was really special for me and really helped develop me as a person. What I learned from playing, uh, you know, team sports, you cannot learn anywhere else as far as I'm concerned. It's, 100%. you know, I learned business, I learned sociology, psychology, you name it, everything, all at once. All within a locker room, within, you know, with 50, 60 guys, oh, with yeah. the same, like – Sports, I, I think, is, is one of those things in, in on earth, sorry, that everyone should at least try. At yeah. least at least just get in for a little bit, even if you do um, T-ball or, you know, uh, kids soccer for a little bit. Just to, you know, get out there, compete, see what it's like to see that someone may be better than you or see what it's like to see that I might be better than someone. Being able to take criticism. Um, understanding that I'm not really good at this. So what else can I do? Right. Those, those little nuanced things that we, we may take for granted in sports is I really believe is what builds character. Oh, yeah. Right. Definitely Absolutely. builds character. I, I, I look back in my life and I'm always like, man, you know, I'm 30 now. Um, when I was back in high school, I always wanted to be like class president, but I was, right. I was too shy. I was like, no, oh, I'm, I'm just a basketball player. I'm just a basketball player. Um, but I was practicing class pre president things on the basketball team. You know, I was, I was a captain. So I had to, hey, guys, let's make sure we stretch. And hey, guys, let's make sure, like, I yeah. played that role. I just didn't play the role that I wanted to um, growing up. And, and sports definitely gives us all that opportunity. So oh, yeah. I'm really happy to have you here again, Michael, to My continue pleasure. to share your story. Now, after you retired, you, you know, you, you also were the president of the CFL PA, you know, at that time, what was it like in that role? And how did you have an impact on your fellow players at that time? Well, I think, you know, so I'll back up just a little bit. When I retired in 2007, I became the vice president of marketing for the Players Association and then took it upon myself collectively with the executive to create what we call Pro players, which was the marketing arm of, of the CFLPA. So we were raising money for players off the field, using right. their intellectual property and licensing and all this stuff. So it was my job to, you know, in essence, for the first little bit, when we started to police the league, police the teams, make sure they follow the collective bargaining agreement, make sure they're, you know, if players are doing stuff, they're getting paid. And it, that was it. That was my job. And then it was finding sponsors for the guys for off the field and getting them engaged in, uh, stuff and get them get them paid right so you know i had an appreciation as a player i was developing that particular arm and along the way uh, was elected president so about six seven years into my marketing job the presidency uh became mine and then i kind of parlayed that into really trying to look at the governance model of the player association and, and see if we can make improvements and see if we can't continue to to grow our brand and, and create the relationships, you know, better relationships with the CFL. And, uh, you know, I ended up uh, having a two-year term, and then I left in 2014. And at that time, I, be, between being a player rep when I played up until 2014, I mean, I was in the Player Association, Association for 18, 19 years. Yeah. So to me, it was just like I just needed to step away, too, because that's a long time, you know. And there wasn't a lot of change. Mm -hmm. So, and then that led to me just kind of, you know, for years, just trying to find myself, trying to 
you know, take a job here, take a job there. Like, you know, and it was, it, it sucked. It really sucked at that particular time. And, you know, I was doing a lot of uh, color commentary work and, and TV work and all this stuff. And that was fantastic, but it wasn't a 12 month gig. It was around the football season. So, you know, that kept me busy. It's something I, I still do to this day. I still do the radio for the Ticats and, and travel with them and all that stuff. But, um, you know, that, that couple of years when I didn't know what I was going to do next was, was crazy. Um, but man, it was looking back, it was a blip in time. And, and now look where we're at, right? Now look where, where I'm at and, and the CBL is at. And that's, that's the payoff, right? Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about that transition, that what do I do now, right? right. I feel a lot of athletes went through that when COVID hit. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, wait, I'm not getting paid anymore? Oh, wait, I'm not as popular? People don't care as much when I post? There's no games being played. And we saw athletes all of a sudden become huge gamers. Mm -hmm. Huge. Esports took off. Um, athletes began to vlog. We saw athletes launch fitness pages and getting into YouTubing and just doing things that they could always do, but now right. they were kind of forced to, right? How did you, how did you deal with that transition from, from, from your point of view at that time, right? Because transition for everybody looks different. Probably not well to begin with. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like, it was tough. And then, you know, you find yourself, you know, a very, uh, you know, the way the world works now with, you know, you know, sending your resume in, I mean, it's essentially there's like robots or whoever that looks at them, evaluates them, spits them out based on a criteria. There are very few people are actually picking it up, reading it, understanding the person, getting to know the person. So here I am with, in my opinion, you know, a ton of experience, not, maybe not work. I didn't start as a salesman, get up to a manager, go to the director, become an AVP, a VP. Like that's not how it worked. I played football. Like, that's what I did. That was my work. But I, that was a, a job where, like I said earlier, it was, I learned a hell of a lot, you know, much more than I would have learned maybe climbing the ladder in some business, right? It was, there was a lot more well-rounded. So, um, you know, when that, when the situation came, I was like, why is nobody taking a chance on me? Right. And it's, it, it sucked, but you know, it's more like you kind of wait and wait and wait. I jumped on a couple opportunities that weren't the right opportunities for me. And it didn't take long for me to figure that out. But, you know, you, you just kind of go with the flow and you, and you respect the work you do and you go until maybe other opportunities come up. And, you know, I ended up landing a really awesome job. I was selling private jets and it was a fantastic job. I was meeting just tremendous people. Um, you can imagine, you know, the one percenters that I meet across this country um, all very, you know, nice and family driven and all, you know, very smart business people. And I always said, well, I'll probably meet somebody through this, like guaranteed it. You know, I didn't know much about selling planes and the very per first person I sold anything to happened to be the founder. Uh, and that was the very first relationship I made on that job. And I worked at that job for about two and a half years, maybe two years. And during that time, we continued to foster that relationship and then the seeds to the CBL grew. So as, as I was working at a job I loved, I was also in, the, in my off time working on these, the idea and the structure of the CBL, and it was the best of both worlds. And then at some point, I just said, we got to make a move. This is, this is for real. And I left what was an amazing job for an even more amazing job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. 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 One thing, you know, before we move on uh, in and about that transition that I wanted to ask you, Michael, was, you know, a lot of athletes transitioning have almost like an identity crisis from, you know, I'm the man. I was X amount of times MVP of this league. And now you're not playing anymore. You're not wearing that hat anymore. And now you're just Joe Smith. Mm -hmm. And a lot of athletes can't deal with that. So I think some of the things that you do see um, with, 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 with athletes, especially retired ones, is they are always trying to find ways to stay relevant. Mm 
yes. stay relevant, right? So when you see Charles and, and, and Kenny Smith and Shaq on TV, well, what you see is they're still on TV, but like you go to All-Star Weekend. I went to All-Star Weekend this, this year in Chicago and Kenny Smith, the guy that's on TV, doesn't play anymore, is hosting his own party, hmm. right? So taking his, his little bit of leverage that he has to get this job and now create more and more opportunities, um, which is, I think, absolutely smart. Yeah. Um, but that identity crisis that athletes go through, can you, can you chat on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I first, well, it's, it's called forced retirement, myself and kind of my best buddy we played with together for 12 years, uh, Rob Hitchcock, were, were basically released on the same day. Um, you know, and it was like the earth collapsed, the man, it was the end of the world for me. And it, it was hard for me to even consider watching a game, going to the stadium. It took me years to even care. Like I just couldn't absorb it. Like I was upset and I was just, I had lost everything that I worked so hard for. And, uh, and, and you're right. You, you become less relevant because somebody replaces you and the teams go on and life goes on. It's just the way it is. And, and I, I, I always had a, you know, a pretty good following and still do to this day in Hamilton because I'm from here and the people know my upbringing and, and the rest of that stuff. And so that didn't vanish, but it wasn't the same. You know, it certainly wasn't the same. Um, and, and at the time I didn't know how to handle it. And I think that that was combined with, you know, trying to, you know, reinvent myself. And, and thankfully within a month or two of, of retiring the, the, VP job at the player association came up and that, that saved me. It really did. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that decision. And then from 2007 to 2014, that kept me in the, the CFL, right. Wow. Through the players. So, so that really, but I'm, I'm fortunate, mm -hmm. you know, I, again, remember my role as player as the president, I would be responsible for 600 players and, I would hear the horror stories from a lot of them, you know, guys that well, access to their pension because they got no more money or they spent it all. They need to advance mm. on their funds and how they can help, or I got no medical or whatever. So, you know, and that's just year to year. That's not even after retirement. Right. So it's a, <laughs> it's a fleeting business. It really is. You gotta be, you gotta be smart. And, and at the same time, no matter how smart you are, one injury and you're done. So it's a, you know, sports is a lot of people that say, you know, why these guys get paid so much and this, <laughs> it can be gone tomorrow. Like, especially in football, there's no guaranteed salaries. It can be gone tomorrow and you're done. So yeah. that's it. And so, you know, that, but that reinvention, you know, to me, like I was never a big social media guy because I didn't grow up in that era. Right. So I'm 49. Right. Now, so it didn't come up. So I never felt the need to have to reinvent myself that way. Uh, but then I had to, I had to reinvent myself as the, the sports person, the business guy, you know, I, because I understood the, the playing, I understood what it went to, what it meant to own business. I had owned, owned about 12 restaurants at the time. And then, you know, I run, you know, events. So I understood that. And then with the player association, I understand the, the collective bargaining. So I knew I was getting a more well-rounded look at sport than most people. So that was my next reinvention. How do I take advantage of that? And I know what the CFL does and the teams do and the PA does and the players do and the sponsors do and the media does. Okay, well, let's, let's package that up and let's see if I can use it. And truthfully, I thought I was a shoe in to, to maybe be in the CFL one day on a team level or another level on the business side. That was what I really wanted to be. It never happened. So, you know, it's just life, right? And, but look, again, back to the whole thing, but look how it turned out. And I wasn't looking for what I was doing. This just kind of fell on my plate and we designed it together and here we are. Wow. 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 With chaos comes opportunity. When things seem like they're shook, shaken all over the place, there's some silver lining in there for, for everybody. You just got to go look. Um, and I think that's very, very, very important. And I'm absolutely loving this conversation because your, your life, the 49 years of it, speaks to so many different topics. Like, there's so many roads we can really, really go oh, down yeah. right now. <laughs> and I'm really holding myself back from going down. I'm trying to stick to the script. But um, 
you know, as a, you know, as a, as a business leader and as an exec at this point, um, what, how was the CEBL formed? And, you know, walk us through that story because it, yeah. it to me, you know, I'm, I'm a basketball guy. I've been in this world since 2012 or 2011 or whatever year it's been. And leagues would come up, pop up, disappear, pop up, disappear, pop up, disappear. We even had an NBA team in Vancouver disappear. There was talk about bringing a team to Montreal. No chance. And to see the CEBL come out in year one and everyone's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then year two, all sports is canceled. Actually, we'll get to year two after. Get us to how you guys got to year one. Well, I mean, back to that kind of, you know, that time that I was, I was working, I met our founder and we were designing what it would look like. So it was built off of everything I learned, you know, through my own business endeavors or majority of it playing football. Like it was just learned behavior of how things work or why if things don't work. Okay. Well, we can't go that way. We just started creating this roadmap. And we looked at what, like you said, all the other leagues have come and gone, all the other teams that have come and gone, and we investigated why. And we came to this very similar pattern. It's, for the most part, there are U.S.-based team, you know, leagues that come up here and supplant a couple teams, and, and they, they don't engage with the community. They don't attract uh, the local talent. They don't team up with Team Canada. They don't, uh, you know, play FIBA rules. There's a whole thing they don't do. And, you know, they think you can run it on a shoestring budget and mm. there's no entertainment value. Mm. So all this stuff, you know, unless you endear yourself to the community and provide quality entertainment and be relevant and provide something new and exciting, the quality is fantastic and it's Canadian and you're proud of it and you're taking, you know, control of a, you're taking advantage of a resurgence of basketball and the excitement of basketball. And it all blended together. But all those other groups and the cities that they, they played in, they're good cities and they, the fans are good fans and there's great basketball following. They've been burned. It's not mm -hmm. like they, they screwed over. The teams didn't come. They were going, they got let down. So, you know, the, there are a lot of basketball fans across this country. There's a plenty enough, you know, in, in Southern Ontario, but there's a lot across the country and you know, the, the Raptors are a hit coast to coast. There's no doubt about it. But they're still Toronto's team because there's people that did it. You know, I travel the country. Some people yeah. don't love, they love them <laughs> playoff time. Like yeah. They might not love them. They may not be their team, but they have that Canadian pride and it means something. And basketball's huge, right? They've made it huge. See, we localize and regionalize our team. So now you have pros in your own backyard. So now that's the connection to that high level quality basketball. We know we're not the NBA, but we know where we fit. We know we're the best FIBA league that plays in the spring and summer. And I think we're a top five FIBA league in the world. And our Canadian talent is through the roof. So when we went in 2019 and we were telling people what we're doing, we're running showcases and we're just kind of getting the word out. People thought we were nuts. Everybody. I, I, I definitely crazy. did. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, crazy. There's like, there's no way. And we heard it yeah. from arenas and cities and players and co. I, I heard it from everybody. I'm like, but there's reasons why that didn't work. Like there's mm. reasons, there's fundamental reasons why the structures were wrong. The, the idea of when they played is wrong. And, you know, we play in the spring and summer. It may seem crazy to, to a lot of people. It's the best thing we can do. We get the best talent in spring and summer. All the guys that are playing EuroLeague and everywhere come home in the summer and the spring to train. We get them on a court. We, we pay them. They play high-quality basketball. They get FIBA game film. They sign better contracts. So they go. When they play, they don't coast. They go every game and they get paid, uh, you know, a, a decent amount. And we're going to pay them more as we continue to grow, but they're playing professional ball and they're representing their country. So when we started putting this together, we, it was convincing a lot of people and you know, it's, you can fool a lot of people. You can't fool the players and coaches. They'll figure it out. And we knew once we started getting into the season, you know, for me as a former player and head of the PA, I have to treat the players well. They got to get, you know, the best gear, they got to get, you know, good per diems and stay in good hotels and travel the proper way and, and be outfitted from head to toe and, and all this stuff. It's, it's important because they're your biggest asset. They're your biggest partner. 
And we started doing all those things. And we were doing, we knew we were doing the right things because we were hearing from the players and the coaches and the fans were showing up. And, and don't forget, we run this league from, you know, an office of Thorold. We don't, we don't have, you know, owners that live in those communities. The ownership group resides here and we do the work from miles away. So we start selling our teams to, to local ownership groups. Forget it. I mean, it's going to explode, right? With the connections, the business community, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we went through, you know, our inaugural season. We ended up halfway through signing a deal with CBC to pick up all our games on, on the Gem app and CBC Sports. That was big for us because we started – it's a little things, right? And then, you know, we run our first championship weekend, which is, a you know, a Final Four meets the Great Cup. And we have free festival and Four Corners is there, the DJing at the game. And we've got USS playing on the main stage. And we've got a gala dinner. And, you know, the games are, are fantastic and the fire's going off. And it's like you're going to a Raptor game. Like, it's that involved. Mm. And there's entertainment. There's everything. But it's, it's a whole weekend. So we knew we were doing the right things. And, and then, you know, the icing on the cake was the Saskatchewan Rattlers win the championship in Saskatchewan. And we just – we had chosen Saskatchewan to be the, the, the home of championship. City. Yeah. We didn't know that this – because, really, they were the last seed. And they wow. went all the way in one. So that was kind of the icing on the cake. And then we just said, okay, where did we go wrong? How do we build to 2020? And in the offseason, we signed a three-year partnership with CBC. So now we're doing games on national television. Now we're doing all our games on webcast. We signed international deals in Asia and Australia. Um, we added Ottawa as another our seventh franchise. Then we added, you know, new GMs, 75 new players, like guys that were sitting on the fringe of the Scrub Brothers and these guys. And they're kind of like, we don't know. And they're like, okay, I'm in. And not just them. I mean, like, guys across the board. So, and, and that was the beauty of, you know, I know we'll get to the summer series, but the beauty of being on national television and the basketball community at large to say, oh, my God, I remember that dude. I used to play with that guy. Or he went to the same high school as I did. Or haven't seen him for years because he's been overseas or whatever. That was like, again, we just kept moving and shaking and grinding and doing all those things. And, of course, COVID hit. And we got through that, too. It's as crazy as it sounds. But, man, you just can't be afraid to fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you are. Oh, man. You talked on a lot of things there. Because, um, essentially, you guys were a startup. We still are. I mean, we still, we still are. are. Yeah, we still are. Still we're startup. still in our growth stage. We're still spending wow. more money than we're making, but it's an investment in the business. And but that was what we knew. We didn't Absolutely. plan for COVID. That that didn't help. But we're still a startup. But we're we're at that stage now where we're attracting the attention of other investor operators, other team owners, people who want to right. purchase some of our teams. You know, bigger networks. So we know that we're we're moving. We're at that. In the right direction. Right at that time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that little tipping point. So yeah. a couple of things that you talked about was, you know, trying, testing, analyzing, repurposing. Um, you know, as a startup, that's something you, you got to do every day, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't have the answers. You have something that's great, but you're trying to make it, make sure that it fits within the market, right? You want to find that perfect product market fit. Understand what your share is. Understand what your drivers are understand what your KPIs are, so on and so forth. Now, I think one of the, the, the biggest things that I saw on the outside looking in was just how clean everything looked. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had never attended a game. Um, you know, I had friends that, friends and mentors to me that, you know, became GMs within the league and coaches and yeah. friends that I had played basketball against playing in the league and, you know, Junior Kadugan and Daniel Mullings and... Yeah. Um, Tyrone Watson, all these guys I played against growing up. And I was like, wow, you guys are really just playing down the street, but it felt like they were far away. Yeah. You know, you guys did an amazing job of keeping it very clean. Um, I love the branding, the, you know, the white, the gold, the black. Um, is that a little bit of a OVO in there? Was that, was that kind of uh, a, a, no, a there was no, there was no intention to, to OVO, although, I mean, obviously, that it, it has that nice luxury feel. So gold yes. has a luxury feel. So we're always going for that. I think OVO might have a tad more gold. We might be a little more yellow, but it's that same yeah. feel, right? Right. Um, and we wanted that, that ball to have, like, movement, like the ball going through the net. 
and just the block letters and, and the brand was huge, right? So I'm a stickler for brand. So when 100%. you say everything looks clean, I'm sad, glad because <laughs> it's not because I'm a, you know, dress code. And like it's got to be the way the court looks and what, what the person sees at home watching TV or what the person sees in the arena when we get back to the arena. That's incredibly important to me. Huge. And that all goes back to brand. We started when we launched the CBL, we launched CBL, CBL, CBL only like 80%, you know, for like a year until we knew the teams could catch up to us. Like we said, the teams are nothing without the brand. So the Buffalo Bills are, are great right now this year, but they're nothing without the NFL shield, right? right. Under, if there's no NFL, the Buffalo Bills are just- You can't live alone, Bills. exactly. So we had to build that CBL brand so people understood it. And then we started adding the team brands. And then, you know, the CBLs fallen back into a, you know, a role where we just were alongside all the time. But the, if you look at our brand across the whole league, and it helps that we're a single entity, but it's very consistent. It's purposely done. Um, and, but to your point, because we're still young, we have to tweak. We tweak all the time. Oh, I mean, man, I don't want to be tweaks. I make every day I'm in the operating manual. I'm looking at something or changing something or updating franchise packages or, or looking at whatever secondary logos, whatever it may be. We're always doing it, but um, you have to, again, you, you can't become stagnant, right? Right, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you see, do you see there being a CEBLPA? That would be driven by the players. Um, I, I would say that, listen, we're, I'm open to it because I've been through it. I'm mm -hmm. not sure that there would be a real benefit to players right now because I don't know what more we can give them. Right. right. Um, now, fast forward four or five years from now, and this becomes a solid job that maybe stops them from going to Europe, then, then yeah, maybe, maybe that it become, you know, because really the players, we like, we, we give them what we give them. I don't think we, we hide anything back. So to pay somebody or lawyers to get together to pay your union dues to be protected, to get more when you already get the max, maybe at this point, isn't it in the future? I hope we get to the point where there's a, a PA because that means that, you know, it's a real strong well. league right. and things are going well. I have no problem with that. You know, that doesn't bother me the least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Michael, you've, you've talked to us about the bubble, what that was like, you know, um, as Canada's newest league, um, you know, we, we know the CFL had to cancel because of COVID, but, you said no. You you you're like no. We're gonna figure this thing out, um, especially with with not much to 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 go off of. Like if you were to try it now, and you know you could try to replicate what the NBA has right. done. Um, but clearly, you, you you were thinking about this. You know, walk us through that process of of putting together a bubble here in Canada. Yeah, uh, in, insanity. Uh, we were, <laughs> we ended up being the the first professional league in the whole country to do it a second year startup league. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, but we did our homework and, we, and a lot of it we did on our own. We, we paved our forge our path. And of course we had multiple conversations with all level, levels of government, municipal, provincial, federal, and then chief medical officers, our own medical officers, regional and both the provincial. And, and I served on task force with other, you know, executives from the other big leagues and just tried to meander our way and, you know, about a week after, you know, the NBA shut down, um, you know, that first week was like, we didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. There was no one who was going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And about a week later, I said, listen, if we're going to be sitting at home, let's, let's try and get better as an organization. And then, you know, as, you know, try to say, guys, we're never going to get this time off again. Like, we're, you're at home. Mm -hmm. We have nothing to do. Let's take advantage of it. I mean, let's, let's just get better. And, and then I said, and you know what? I, well, let's back up. I actually thought, you know, because the hell that I know, that come May, you know, it was when we were starting our season, that things would be okay. I'm like, ah, we're not playing till May. Things would be okay. Right. <laughs> what did we know? That's how little we knew, right? And then, well, as we got, you know, a few more weeks in, I said, okay, we're going to dive right into trying to make a plan. And the plan's going to be we're going to play. And we're going to play in some sort of bubble. And we're going to choose Ontario because, well, truth is, you know, four of our teams are from Ontario or head office in Ontario. Just operationally, if we're going to do this, it needs to be in Ontario. 
But Ontario at that point was way behind everyone else. Like they had huge numbers and, you know, other places had very little. So a lot of my executives and others are saying, well, why, did, like, why aren't we going to BC or why aren't we going to Saskatchewan? Or, but you're only going to pull this off with everybody, all hands on deck. Right. And we just started working away. I mean, like this, this could be a two hour show in itself, but you know, <laughs> the, what we did was we just kept going. So every time there was a little hurdle, we, we, hurled it or we knocked it over and we kept going We made sure that we were you know always trying to advance the ball getting you know approvals to make sure and and working towards the public doing their part which they did and they got us into a stage three just before we went back to play and then trying to get you know our americans over the border and quarantine them and get in a hotel and the logistics of the training center and the main venue and, and working with our production company and cbc and writing scripts and dealing with players and signing addendums and bringing in coaches. It's insane amount of work. And, but it was the most rewarding thing we ever could have done. It was the most stressful thing. And again, I am like not, I'm giving you such a condensed version, but the, the, the life in the bubble, the daily grind, the emotions that come with an unknown virus in COVID were tremendous and it wasn't until the confetti went off and they were Jermaine Small and the Stingers were hoisting the trophy that I finally say thank goodness it's over but it was uh, one of the proudest achievements I think for for us as a staff that they can go through the rest of life their life and be one of only a small handful of people that yeah. actually lived it and breathed it and did it and did it hands-on you know, we're not the NBA, we're not the NHL, we don't billions of dollars, nobody's paying us, we just did it. And uh, so that's what we're proud of. And, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, from a brand awareness point of view, you know, it was tremendous. Our return on investment was tremendous. Um, it's catapulted us, you know, into more discussions with more potential owners. And, and people just said, okay, oh, this is for real. Then when they saw the TV, they're like, that's some good, that's some good ball. It looked good. And it's that, you know, it finally made sense, right? Because a lot of the mm -hmm. people that watched it, because over 1.2 million people watched us over those four days of programming, they'd never seen us before. So it was good. It was encouraging. And I think it's going to pay off. And, you know, we need to get back in front of fans. Absolutely. Um, but that, at that particular time, and what, how we're going to roll from that is incredibly important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's a, that's an amazing story. I think one of the things that you mentioned, there's a point that you brought up that I'm trying to remember. Oh my goodness. Um, being able to pull it off is the life of an entrepreneur. That's it. I could literally have, it. I, the, <laughs> that's literally it. Of stress, of <laughs> failure that I lived with and our staff lived with, and I'm sure the players did and the coaches, but I mean, as an operator and, you know, the one that it was going to fall back on me and, and gladly, um, oh, it was off. It was horrendous. Like, cause it was anything could, the unknown could have got us at any way at any time. And we were, were doing the left, just standing there. We're picking up the pieces and maybe picking up the pieces and never doing it again. I don't know. Right. Yeah, we don't and know. So that, but I didn't think like that every day. I like, yeah, that's a risk. Boom. Put that at the back. Let's go. Just keep going. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. And that's, Absolutely. that was it. I couldn't worry Absolutely. about it every day. Are you kidding me? It would kill yeah. me. <laughs> there, was, there was something. I just remembered my point. So, you know, as a startup league, I'm going to compare this to the startup world and enterprise, right? So startups are these small little mini coops and you know enterprises are these big trucks um in the same cebl are these small mini coops and the nhls and nfls and all of them of the world are these big trucks um it would be safe to assume that it's a lot easier to move when you have you're not as big right yeah um you know, your, your, your team is, is, is nimble. Um, like I'm, you guys have probably have a league office. Probably yeah. Don't, I mean, it's virtual. 
I'm going to stop you there because I use that word. I didn't use it today, but I use that word mobility all the time. One of the reasons we knew um, in agile too, one of the reasons we knew we could pull it off because we knew we were, we were mobile and agile enough to get it done because we knew we had over 80% Canadians. We knew they were in the country. We knew that as an office, we had, you know, 12 people in our league office and then, you know, another, you know, 50 people across the leagues and the other teams. I knew if I counted on them, we'd, we'd pull it off. We'd all do double duty and different shifts and this and that. And it, it didn't matter because we're agile. And because the way we're governed is a single entity ownership, I didn't have to ask permission or approval of seven different team owners and have them convince them to try to believe that this is a good mm. idea. You, yes, you're going to risk all the risk is this, but believe in me. I didn't have to do that. I said, this is what we're going to do. And all the executive team said, yep. And how do we help you get there? And that's what happened. And, but it all came down to how we're structured, which goes back to the very beginning of why those other leagues failed. The structure mm. of how the other leagues started and you know, some still exist is not feasible to be able to build and be profitable and be successful into the mid to long term. You can fake it for a while, but you just won't ever hit that growth stage where you actually become what you attempt to become. So that, you know, fast forward, you know, from planning that four or five years ago to this year implementing it in a real fundamental way and actually pulling off a, a, a bubble concept that no one had ever done before and no one knew how to do it and we just did it. That goes back to the whole being agile, being mobile, being functional, and, and, and shooting above your weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what entrepreneurship is all about, man. So many, so many parallels and mm -hmm. analogies in here, Michael, that um, I'd, I'd love for us to, to jump into. Um, unfortunately, you know, our time is running short. Um, maybe we might have to get you back for another conversation. You let me is, know. I can this talk. Been, <laughs> <laughs> this has been absolutely amazing. Two last questions. Okay. One in and around um, three. We'll make it three. Uh, the CFL being on pause this year, what advice would you give to players looking to make ends meet right now? Man, that, that's a tough one because I, my, my heart goes out to them because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you put everything in play ball. I mean, it's no longer a, a half-year sport. It's full-year yeah. sport, right? Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, you, you picked up another job in the offseason. You probably just continue that job during the season. That just doesn't happen anymore. The guys get paid more. They're training better. It's um, – you got to do what's best for you. I, I really do. I really think that you take this point in time as, as a sign – and you either go all in in the direction that you are on and you want to continue, or you just say, I'm going the other direction. I think it's a defining point and it's easy to say, um, but I, I really believe this is a chance. It's an opportunity, right? That whole thing, chaos brings opportunity. This is an opportunity. It may not seem like mm. it, somebody just took that paycheck from underneath you, but I really believe out of this will come more well-rounded athletes, uh, guys that understand, maybe the business side better that are now prepare themselves for life after football because now they got a taste of it. And, it, and I know that sounds bleak, but that's, that's how you are successful, right? You have to prepare for life after football while you're still a star at playing or any sport for that matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Michael. Um, it's something I've been preaching for a very long time. It's you're famous now, but at some point it's going to stop. It's going to stop. Nothing good lasts forever. Nothing. I've been watching these Netflix documentaries on billionaires from India and all oh, of yes. them. Have you seen them? I've seen the first one. Yes. Holy smokes. Yes. The king of good times. But the, king, yeah. the, the good times don't last forever. That's right. Um, <laughs> I would love to see your notepad or your notebook. Like, where do you oh, sit I'm, down? I'm, and I'm, take a, I'm a note guy. I take yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'd love. I would. That's oh, my staff asking. can't read it. I show it to them. They're like, what the hell is this word? I'm what like, does this uh, say? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm always like, how did he get there? Like, what, what happened here to change his, his compass to make him go that way or make him go yeah. that way? Um, so uh, if it's ever available, please, I'd love to take a look. <laughs> um, uh, you know, what have you taken from your business career 
forget that. Yeah. What have you taken away from your experience in leadership positions? And why do you think athletes will excel at these roles? Well, I think I've never thought of myself so much as a, as a leader. Like, I, you know, I know, I know I am, but I've never said like, okay, I'm a leader. And I, I think leaders do. So, you know, I, for instance, you know, my staff will always say to me like, no, no, no you, you don't have to, you know, maybe take out the garbage the bad way. I don't take out the garbage, but you don't have to move those bins or carry those boxes or, or do like, I said, but, no, but I, why not? Like I want to, and it helps you guys and whatever. So I think leaders do. Um, and you know, natural leadership occurred to me when I was playing sports and people gravitate to you and you know, you know that your decision-making or what you say or what you do has a, has an impact. If it's a positive one, then you're, you're a leader. And if it's a negative one, then I'm afraid you're not, you know, you could make mistakes. Leaders always make mistakes and take people maybe down the wrong path, but they do it at full speed. Um, but for me, you know, I, I, I'm a people person. I, I like to come in with a smile on my face every day, whether I'm happy or not, and uh, thank my staff for the hard work they do and give them the tools to just do their job. I don't micromanage. I, I, uh, I believe in my staff. And, you know, when I ask things, it, obviously they know it's important. But for the most part, I, uh, I let people work and I just, I just guide the boat. I literally just guide it along the way. Leaders do. So simple as that. For everyone listening, you can't be out here talking that you're a leader, not getting shit done. Period. <laughs> Period. Period. Now, you know, my last question to you, Michael, you know, a man of many talents, um, and doing amazing things in Canada. I personally think you, you need to be celebrated more. There's a lot of leaders out there that don't do, and here you are doing it. Um, so thank you once again for joining us. Uh, my last question is in and around, you know, your self-care, you know, your wellness. How, like, what is your self-care tip for our entrepreneurs and our entrepreneurs that are listening? That, that's a, that's a great question because as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as an executive, you get so busy that often self-care becomes the last thing you do, right? Um, a lot of the things that I do that make me happy are, are just kind of being with my family. Like I just, like being at home. I just like spending time with the people around me that that I love, I love me, and I'm comfortable in my own skin, and I don't need to be out, you know, at the club. And I did all that stuff. I'm at the stage of my life that I just, I want to make other people happy. And, you know, that's where I'm at. That's where the wellness comes from. It's just knowing that I can come home to a smile on my wife's face, my kid's face, and, and just enjoy life, spend time together. And that'll cure a lot of things. Wow, absolutely. So just getting away from it all. I just, I just, yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I just come home. I like being home and I used to work out and do all those things. I don't get the opportunity to do that as much. I like to get back into doing that. Um, Cause I think it's important. I, I eat well, I don't drink. I, I used to drink when I used to, you know, have fun. I was younger. I don't, I probably haven't drank in years and mm-hmm. it just, just the, me, I just, the way I feel, I feel good. And that's what it's like. That's beautiful. That's absolutely important. And you said it as entrepreneurs, as, 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 as just people, we wear many hats and we forget about ourselves. Um, so um, on that point, I should definitely cut it because <laughs> we'll keep going. Michael, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, we'll definitely be uh, staying in touch and, and, and conversating as you continue to build out, you know, Canada's league and the CEBL. Um, you're an inspiration to me. Um, and I'm sure there are others that, that look up to you and, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the perfect example of why the athlete tech group exists is, is seeing someone be successful in one thing and taking that success and trans, transcending it or transitioning it to some something else so thank you for being you thank you for doing thank you for setting examples thank you for the gold thank you for the white thank you for the confetti thank you for giving my friends jobs you know um 
during a difficult time and, and thank you for making things happen that people didn't think would happen but you made it happen so a lot to be proud of and thank, thank you for joining my us. pleasure my all pleasure. right my thank man. you we'll definitely talk soon fun.